Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Top Order podcast. On this episode, we're joined by another special guest, this time a man who's played over 80 games for the Black Caps, is the all-time leading run scorer for Canterbury, and is fresh off an incredible season in his first as coach of that same province. Peter Fulton, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, it's our pleasure. Look, firstly, we must say a massive congrats on the season. We've touched on it a little in our recent review of the New Zealand domestic summer, uh, but four out of five trophies for the Canterbury uh, region this summer. The Magicians picked up both their titles. Your lads won the Plunkett Shield and the Ford Trophy. Of course, you always want to win it all when you start every season, but what were you expecting when you took on the role as coach of this Canterbury site? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think you can't, it's easy to say you expect to, to win competitions, but you know there's six six good teams in New Zealand who are all trying to win the same competition. So you don't, you know, you've only got so much control over the winning side of it, I suppose. But um, look, I think when I started the job, uh, I believed that Canterbury had, you know, talented players um, and enough talented players to probably, you know, achieve better results than maybe what they had in the previous two or three seasons. So, like I said. It, while we certainly, while while I expected that you know we'd be in contention to win some titles, um, I guess I just wanted to see, you know, probably improvement from the previous couple of years, um, and we certainly got that. And in terms of your approach when you took on the job, was was your was your sort of initial work with the guys all about establishing a culture and and sort of setting the mould for how you wanted to shape that team, or did you get immediately into the nitty gritty, into techniques and strategies and and all that kind of stuff? Um, you know, I guess you hear coaches talking about starting up watching a lot of film to get used to how the guys are operating. What were the key things for you coming into this role? Well, I think I had a, a little bit of an advantage given that I uh, played, you know, with or against, you know, just about all, all the guys in the mm. squad. Um, mm. and, uh, and some of them I, I, I know a lot better than others, but, you know, I, I guess I had an understanding of just about all of them. So for me, it was about not so much about working harder, but just working a little bit smarter. I think all those guys in the team have always had a good work ethic, um, but probably at the detriment sometimes to themselves, just you know, thinking that if they hit more balls and bowl more balls, then they'll get better. Mm. Uh, and you know, while there is a part of that in cricket, um, yeah, it's, it's just about being a little bit smarter and um, probably working a little bit more on the mental side of the game. I think that's, you know, that's probably is the difference between the, the good players and the great players. And, and I mean, yeah, you touched on it a little bit there, but I mean, what what does day to day coaching look like for a, for a head coach of a, a franchise? I've heard um, you know talking to a, a few of the boys, sounds like you do a lot of uh, rugby refereeing. <laughs> yep, yep, you got to referee the, uh, the 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 game of touch and warm ups. So um, I've heard you yeah, cop a decent boys. spray from a few of the boys. Oh yeah, you cop a bit of a spray, but that's all right. Most of them are <laughs> terrible touch players. So um, that, you want to name anyone in particular? Oh, there's there's probably there's a there's a few there's a few. Cameron Cam Fletcher is probably one of the worst touch players I've ever seen. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you wouldn't thought you wouldn't have thought he grew up in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing at times, but uh, yeah. So the, the boys got to play touch every day. So that's the that's the first thing. If if you uh, if you try to if you try to tell them they're not playing touch in the warm ups before we get started, then you'll have a mutiny on your hands. So. Oh wow. <laughs> And and yeah, so I guess what what is what is the rest of uh, your your coaching setup look? You know, maybe a week or you know game day and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I guess it just depends, really. I mean, in the pre season, it's pretty structured. 
but once you get once you get in the season and the, and the games start rolling around, uh, you have to be a little bit flexible, really, because depending on what happens in the game, for example, if it's a four-day game, sometimes your bowlers might bowl a lot of overs. So three or four days before the next game, they're probably actually only going to bowl once, if that. Mm. Um, so likewise, if, if the game's rain-affected or you don't happen to bowl a lot of overs, then it might be different. So you just got to be quite flexible, I think. Um, and I think the players, the players probably expect, well, the players expect that they're going to turn up and, Everything's going to be organised. Mm. Um, so, like I said, you can have the best best laid plans, but that can all you know that can all change pretty quickly depending on what happens in the game and the weather and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it, it, it does vary, um, and that's probably part of it as well. You have to you have to try and mix things up a little bit because, yeah, otherwise the players probably get a little bit bored and switch off. How much of that sort of rest and and, and load management? nowadays is numbers driven and how much of it is you're talking to the players and getting a feel for them, you know, them getting a feel for their bodies and how they're traveling and how how much has that changed since you sort of started playing cricket um a couple of years back yeah a couple of years back uh well yeah when i think when i started playing for canterbury in about 2000 2001 mm. uh i don't i don't really ever remember the bowlers talking about their loading mm. uh, and how many overs they bowled they just would train you know maybe a couple of times a week at the old Lancaster Park and the bowlers would bowl, uh, the batters would bat and you might see the odd person have throwdowns at the end of training but mm. not very often, it was just all bowlers and and yeah, now it's probably, you know, a little bit sort of gone the opposite really. Uh, you, you'll, you'll see the bowlers bowling a little bit at training um, but there's a lot of throws and there's a lot of the old dog flinger mm. um, and, and yeah, it's just, I guess, it's, you know, and and rightly so. I mean, there's a lot of people, probably older players, who would say, "Oh, it's, you know, back in my day, we just bowled, and that's how we stayed fit." And you know, that that's probably true. But they didn't play the same level, of, same amount of cricket, and they probably didn't play at the same intensity yeah. for as long. So, yeah, it's a good point. Um, you've got to you've got to look after after the bowlers because, you know, uh, as we saw this year, the the bowlers, especially in four day cricket, the bowlers are, are what wins you competition. So. Um, if you can keep your best bowlers on the park, then you're going to have a pretty good season. And um, there's a, uh, one bowler in particular I want to talk about in a second, but um, let's just take a little step back to, um, I guess, you taking on the Canterbury role because, I, I mean, you were New Zealand batting coach at the time and, um, I mean, the New Zealand setup at the moment seems like a, a, a great place to be. I mean, what what was your main motivation to, I guess, step away from that role and, and take on the, the Canterbury gig? Uh, well, there's probably there's probably two. The main one was, uh, I guess, I've always wanted to be a head coach, and it might it might seem like there's not a lot of difference between the head coach and the batting coach, but you know, in a cricket team, but especially these days, uh, the batting coach is, I guess, especially in the in the Black Caps environment, um, you know, you're, you're probably a resource. And you've got to throw a lot of balls and you've got to fling a lot of balls. Uh, and it's very much sort of, I guess, a hands-on. Most of the players, you know, especially the especially the very good ones, are coming to you and saying, this is what I want you to, I want to work on. Can you facilitate this for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the head coach, there's a lot more planning that goes in. Um, I guess you've got control over ultimately, you know, what happens and who's picked and who's not, those sort of things. So, mm. yeah, I, I've always wanted to be a, I guess a head coach, so I sort of felt like 
if I stayed in that role with the Black Caps, which I, I really enjoyed, but if I stayed in that role, um, then I wasn't going to get experience as a head coach. And so it was sort of, a, I guess, a little bit of a case of right job at the right time. I got to combine being a head coach with being at home a little bit more often. I've got two young girls and, mm. um, yeah, I mean, as the as the guys are about to find out this year and, the, and over the winter, the Black Cap guys, I think, you know, they're going to be away from mid-May and apart from maybe four or five weeks in the in the middle of the year, they're going to be away till Christmas. So, yeah, awful, awful long time to be away. So, um, yeah, like I said, good chance to combine those two reasons and be at home a bit more and be a head coach. Yeah, it's, it's staggering when you put it like that, how how much time those guys are going to, going to be away. I mean, you, you I'm sure you probably still keep a pretty close eye on the Black Caps. I mean, what have you made of, of their summer so far? Oh, well, I've played outstandingly well. Um, and I think, I mean, to be fair, you probably, you'd probably expect a lot of those results. I think the, the you know, the T20 series against Australia was probably always going to be the, the big challenge. Um, and, you know, it went, it went sort of down to the wire. Um, but, yeah, the, the other teams, you'd probably, at the start of the year, you would have expected the Black Caps to, to, to dominate them. And I think that's a sign of how far the team's come that, mm. you know, especially at home when we play anyone other than probably Australia, um, you know, with the exception of them, I think at home, everyone else, we expect that we should win and, and you know, and beat convinc- convincingly. And I mean, that, that Aussie tour, I mean, we, uh, you know, as New Zealand fans, I guess, that's, that's I guess, the one blip on the, the resume of, of the last couple of years. I mean, you were around the squad. I mean, do, do you kind of think about that tour and think kind of what happened? Because it feels like we just weren't able to, I guess, show what what good side we are at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough one. I think, I think at the time, probably the feeling amongst the the whole group and the team was that, you know, we just, we just got beaten by a, a far better team in those conditions. Um, but then later on, then, and then when you saw later on when India went there uh, and had a depleted team and, you know, obviously played so well against them, you sort of thought, well, if, if they can, if they can hold their own and they can, and they can win games over there, then, then why couldn't we? So, mm. yeah, I, look, I think, I think there's a few factors. I think the first one, I think, from my point of view, I think if you know if we had our time over again, I don't I don't think those two test matches against England before we went actually did us any favours. Mm. Um, we played on two really flat wickets at Mount Monganui and and Hamilton, and the bowlers had to bowl a lot of overs. Um, we then pretty much went home for three days, jumped on a plane, flew to Perth, eight hour time difference. A few guys arrived late, jet lag. You know, the training facilities were poor. Uh, it was 45 degrees every day. So it was almost like the perfect storm for how you how you wouldn't prepare for a test series. Mm. Um, and, and we got smashed, obviously, in the first game. And Lockie Ferguson, unfortunately, got injured on debut. And, and yeah, from there, it just it spiralled. You know, with guys, I guess, the confidence took a bit of a knock. Um, you know, and... You know, Australia, I guess, sort of sensed that we were sort of probably a little bit down on confidence, and they jumped all over us. Yeah, let's let's not dwell on that too much. Let's go back to to Canterbury and the, the awesome season that you guys had. I mean, we talked you talked about bowlers before. Will Williams is someone I, I'd really um, love to hear your thoughts on because, I mean, he wasn't just the standout bowler for Canterbury, the standout bowler across the whole of the New Zealand 
domestic scene. Um, we just uh, had a review episode of the New Zealand Summer and we rattled off his stats. It's just in- incredible. But, you know, when you, I guess when you look at him, uh, it, you know, on the on the TV screen, he doesn't look especially threatening necessarily compared to some of the other bowlers around the scene. What, what is it about Will that, I guess, has led to have, having such success? And, and is he someone that could make that step up? I mean, I think the thing about Will, um, probably I'd say his biggest asset is his self-confidence. Um, possibly, and and I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but possibly even to the point where it doesn't make any sense how confident he is in his own, own ability. Yeah. Um, because as you say, he doesn't he doesn't bowl very quick. He's he's you know he's not exactly the most you know menacing guy physically um but like i said he's he's incredibly skillful um he's got an ability to swing the ball and to i guess present the seam so that it you know it either nips in or it nips away um he's you know he's really fit he's one of the fittest be one of the fittest guys you know in new zealand cricket um really smart in terms of how he scouts opposition batsmen and his plans you know so like i said he he, he ticks a lot of boxes and um, from when he from when he played his from when he made his first class debut, and I think some of the guys still enjoy giving him a bit of a hard time. I think he got given out handle ball on debut down in oh, Dunedin, that's right. yeah. um, and he famously came off after the, after the innings and said he didn't even know that was a rule <laughs> um, that that you couldn't that you couldn't touch the ball with your hands um, when you're batting. So yeah, like I said, he's 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 probably ex- exceeded my expectations of when I played first played with him for Canterbury country of, of what he would do. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and as, as for how far he could go, like I said, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put any limits on it because, you know, probably people have been saying for the last six or seven years that, you know, he'll never, he'll never consistently play first class cricket or he'll never consistently have success. And he, he just keeps proving them wrong. Mm. And and I mean yeah, well, I think that you're absolutely right. And once you put those numbers up on the board, you sort of have to start getting a go. I mean, um, you mentioned it before as a, a dreadful touch player, but Cam Fletcher's had a, a another one that's had an awesome season. Um, I mean, we uh, we've played a bit of uh, cricket up with him up here in in Auckland, and I think he averaged about eighty in the Plunkett Shield. And yeah, it seemed like he was just getting better and better throughout the year. Is was was that what you saw from a, a you know, in the squad perspective. Yeah, well, I hadn't. Uh, obviously, I played with played with Fletch, and then sort of the last two or three years, hadn't sort of seen too much of him. I've seen a little bit of bits and pieces, but uh, yeah, his, his, his keeping's always been of a pretty good standard. I think it's probably his batting that was that was, I guess, needed to to catch up probably to sort of get him into sort of higher honours contention. Mm. Um, and this year, he's this year he's batted beautifully and. You know, four-day cricket, he scored a lot of runs. Uh, T20s, he played that obviously that amazing knock in the semi-final against Central Districts at Eden Park, number two. And yeah, another guy who works incredibly hard um, and is probably again, you know, I didn't I didn't know him before he came to Canterbury, but he's probably there's probably a few people up in Auckland who are sort of looking at him now um, and thinking, you know, geez, I didn't realise he was going to be quite such a good player, and they're probably also looking at him realising he wasn't going to be. You know, have have the physique that he has now. Um, yeah, we saw we, because we I, were, I've seen I've seen some photos of him when he was seventeen or eighteen, and um, the before and after. It's uh, yeah, it's you know, I'm sure that I'm sure the drug testers are probably uh, <laughs> you know 
sniffing around Fletch every season just to just to make sure that it's actually as you know as good as it looks. Yeah, it's been it was a it's been a running joke on the show uh, for us uh, Cam's Cam's antics in the weight room. It started started um, yeah it started when he was up here that little transformation from uh, this tiny little man to to the Hulk that he is now. So, um, but I mean, despite all of all of the the stats from Cam about his batting, Ken McClure was the batter of the year for you guys. Probably someone that you know the the average New Zealand Black Caps fan might not know about as well. Played an awesome knock in the the Ford Trophy final. Maybe just a, a touch of a word on Ken. Uh, yeah, well, Ken, he's been um, you know he played New Zealand under nineteens. Um, he's down in Canterbury. He's always been. He was a guy probably oh, probably going back nine or ten years. Who when I was still playing, that you know when you you start hearing talk about guys who are sort of at high school, um, that he was a he was a guy that everyone was talking about. Um, about how talented he was, and you know how you know he's got these amazingly fast hands. Um, so yeah, probably took a while to. I think he probably took a wee while to work out that cricket was actually sort of what he wanted to do, and and you know take it really seriously. Um, and, but he's also had, I think you know we played a, a Ford Trophy fi- uh, final at Pukekura Park about four or five years ago, and he actually suffered a really serious hip injury. He sort of almost dislocated his hip and snapped off part of his hip effectively. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm not getting that exactly right. But, yeah, it was a, a really serious injury where to the point where they weren't sure if he was ever going to be able to play again. So, um, yeah, he's he's sort of fought through that, um, got hit in the head a couple of times two or three years ago, concussion again, fought through that, you know, and this year he's been outstanding. He's, he's played, especially in the one-day comp, Played some amazing innings, um, and as you say, the, the game against uh, the final against Northern Districts, um, you know, it's probably it's probably testament to how well he played that he actually almost sort of overshadowed Henry Nichols, yeah. you know, at times in that inning. So that that, that yeah. shows how uh, how talented he is. You mentioned the New Zealand Under Nineteen program. Uh, Cam got a, a a few runs for the the New Zealand A side over the course of the summer. I think it, going back to the West Indies series. The New Zealand A program and the under nineteen and, and under twenty three kind of setups that, that New Zealand have now, how does that how does that kind of impact the the depth in your squad and the and the depth of, of the New Zealand sort of squads as a whole? Because I kind of feel like looking from, as an Australian, looking from the outside, there's never been greater depth in New Zealand cricket at the moment. We've got all these guys that are coming in and doing a job for New Zealand over the course of the summer. I mean, you talk about um, Finn Allen, you talk about Jacob Duffy did a great job, Devin Conway as well, and now we've seen uh, Ratchin Ravindra, Ravindra selected in the test side. For you as a coach, how important, and particularly in your role as a Black Caps batting coach, how important was that NZA program in terms of bridging the gap between provincial cricket and and that sort of international level cricket. Yeah, well, I think I think uh, I think you're right when you say the depth's probably never been so good. Uh, when you look at the players who've come in this year, you know the likes of Will Young and Devin Conway, um, Finn Allen. Um, I think one that's a good sign that domestic cricket is doing a really good job and, mm. and producing players who are able to step up. Mm. Uh, the New Zealand A program, I think, is a little bit like a sort of like a finishing school. Mm. So you get these guys who play domestic cricket who perform really well. The black cap selectors think, yep, I think this guy's, you know, probably pretty close to playing or we, we're definitely interested. Go and play NZA, 
hopefully has some success and that sort of, I guess, just gives them that last little bit of confidence that, mm. yeah, this guy's ready. Um, you know, and then, as you say, like, you know, the guys that have come in this year just haven't looked out of place at all. Daryl Mitchell, again, another another one who has come in and, and not just done okay, but, but actually dominated at times. So uh, I think that's a really good sign for, like I said, it's a good sign for the Black Cats, good sign for domestic cricket. Um, I guess a good sign for the whole system that it that it seems to be producing quality players. Yeah, Daryl Mitchell's a really interesting one for me because it feels like he's been around for years now. But but you're right. I think did he make his debut this season for New Zealand? Played test last uh, year. He played test last yeah, year, the, and then one day debut last this season. year. So like he 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 feels to me like he's been a guy who's been around for years and years and years, and he's only just sort of come through that system. Peter, what was it like for you when you first came into the New Zealand setup as a player? Did you have that same kind of uh, grounding in A cricket and, and that kind of exposure to the to the kind of higher honour stuff or, or did you sort of go straight from domestic cricket into the into the national side? No, I, I came through the, the A system as well. I mm. had probably a couple of good seasons for Canterbury uh, and then I went on a NZA tour to South Africa, which probably for my career was a real eye-opener. Um, the standard was way higher you know, way higher than what I'd been playing in New Zealand. Um, and I guess a really sort of hard style of cricket, um, you know, fast, bouncy pitches, quick bowlers, you know, a lot of verbal abuse probably. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, like I said, a real, a real eye-opener. Um, mm. And, and I, I probably didn't realise at the time, but I was probably sort of, that was probably what was happening then is what happens now. I've probably been identified as this, by the selectors as someone who they were interested in. So they thought, let's send him on this A tour and, you know, effectively see how he goes. And um, I had some success. And, and then I sort of started, I guess, um, or got picked for New Zealand shortly after that. So, yeah, I think that, that A program has been around for a while. And, and look, it's a, it's a financial thing. I think nowadays that the A programs are always, almost always in New Zealand because mm. it's cheaper for teams to come here. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, that was I went to South Africa, and then the next year we went to Sri Lanka, and yeah, for my I guess for my career they were they were you know really cool experiences because you play in some foreign conditions and just I guess allows you to get accustomed to to what you're going to face at, at you know at the highest level. Who were the South African bowlers on that on that tour? The ones that were giving you all the stick. Uh, who were the bowlers? There was a guy, Alby Al- Morkel. Oh, yeah. It was the, the the brother of Mornay Morkel. He wasn't quite as quick. Um, there was a guy, who was the, there was another guy, Garnet Kruger, who played for South Africa. Uh, Alfonso Thomas. There's, oh. I think most of them ended up playing for South Africa. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was ruthless. It was absolutely ruthless. So uh, yeah, like I said, a, a, a really good eye-opener. Um, and also just, like I said, playing in South Africa. It's a place, obviously, New Zealanders probably struggled, um, struggled to put, to win games in the history of, you know, test cricket. So, so great place to, great place to tour. And I was, I think I was about 23, 24 and yeah, it's still, it'd still be one of the, you know, more enjoyable tours I've been on. And it wasn't long after those tours that you were selected to play for New Zealand, obviously a very special moment for every New Zealander to represent their country. Can you talk us through what your experience of your debut was like? Who gave you your cap? Do you remember much of the game or did it all pass sort of in a, a blur of emotion? Uh, well, I got picked to go on a one-day tour of Bangladesh uh, in 2005, or 2004, 2004, sorry. 
Um, and I remember I was I remember the test team were already already over there, so we flew over for the one dayers. And luckily, there was a few Canterbury guys going over just for the one dayers. I think mm. Chris Cairns and Chris Harris, um, Craig McMillan. I think there was a, there was a few guys. Um, and yeah, it was first time in business class, so that was that was a real highlight. Um, <laughs> For anyone who's flown a business class, will tell you. Um, so that was a highlight. But got got to Bangladesh. You know, it took about forty hours to get there. Middle of the night, um, almost died three times on the way to the hotel in the car. Um, the hotel fairly average at best. Um, I was sort of thinking, shit, what have I got myself into here? This mm. is, you know, this isn't quite. Uh, this is. Isn't quite what it, what it's cracked up to be. Had I think I had egg fried rice for the about the whole three weeks I was there because I was <laughs> petrified of getting food poisoning because sure. everyone had told me that subcontinent you just get sick. Um, the power went off ten times a day, um, but still an amazing experience. Like yeah, to 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 get my to make my debut. Um, yeah, it just went in a blur to be honest. Went in an absolute blur. I couldn't I couldn't tell you who gave me my cap or anything like that. I just remember being told I was playing. Um yeah, it was about forty degrees. I was I think I was open with Nathan Astell. I remember that. Um I hit my first two balls for four. And then I think I next over I got out, I was I got bowled and yeah, we we almost lost the game. Yeah. Um so that that's good that we at least we didn't lose because um <laughs> In those days, obviously playing Bangladesh was, you know, losing to them would have been a, a massive no-no. So especially mm. over there, but yeah, great experience. And uh, yeah, it was probably um, it, it probably didn't com- quite compare to playing when I came back to New Zealand the following year and we played in New Zealand. It was, you know, seemed a bit more real because family and friends were there. But mm. yeah, mm. still, still, like I said, an amazing experience. I read somewhere that you were Canterbury Country's first international players. That I feel like that can't be true. Uh, yep. First, well, first person to, I guess, play for New Zealand while they were playing for Canterbury Country. Oh, I think oh, wow. John Wright. John Wright was obviously from um, Canterbury Country, but yeah. but he didn't, you know, he didn't play for Canterbury Country. Um, so yeah, so I think I was the I was the first. Um, Henry Nichols yeah. was the second. So yeah, hopefully at some stage someone else will come along and you know we'll have a third. Yeah, yeah, and look, um, I mean. Going through your playing career, a year we've got to kind of touch on, um, particularly because I've got an Australian standing right next to me, 2007, uh, that Chapel Hadley series. I mean, we don't often get wins against Australia. We just talked about how tough that that tour was. You played the final two games of, of that ODI series and we chased down three 330-plus, uh, I think, in both those games. I mean, what, what are your memories from those games? And, and I guess being in the middle when you're chasing such a big score because, I mean, teams just... Three thirties, nothing nowadays. It seems, but like back then, it was a massive score. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'd we'd been over in Australia just before that, playing in the the tri series with mm. with England and Australia, and we'd sort of just missed out on making the finals. Um, so we'd come home. Um, I'd actually got, I think I got, I got dropped actually, and so for the first game, the first game was at at the Cape Town. I think that was the one we bowled Australia out for about 170 and Stephen Fleming and Lou Vincent um, knocked it off, none down. Yep. Um, so I was actually I was actually at the pub um, <laughs> with some mates and just watching it. And I think Jacob Oram 
Jacob Warren took a catch and broke his finger. Mm. Um, and at the end of the game, I had a text message on my phone from the manager saying, oh, you need to ring me. So I sort of went outside and rung him and um, tried not to sort of slur too much. <laughs> um, and he said, oh, he said, Jake, Jake's broken his finger, so you're, you're coming up to Auckland tomorrow you know, for the game on Sunday. Nice. Because um, this was Friday night. And so, yeah, so I sort of had to sober up pretty quickly and go inside <laughs> and tell my mates that I was, I was going home and obviously got abused for that. And, um, <laughs> yeah, went up to, went up to Eden Park and we, yeah, we chased, I think, yeah, they got 340 and the ball was flying all over the place. And, um, we, we got off to a reasonable start, but, um, we'd lost a few wickets and got it started, started a partnership with Ross Taylor. And, and that was for people who remember that was sort of like Ross Taylor's, sort of real, I guess, sort of innings that sort of really kick-started his international career. Um, and he got a he got a great 100, and um, Craig McMillan played a really great knock as well, came out and, and whacked it. Um, yeah, and we sort of, before you know it, we'd, we'd won the game. Um, and it probably didn't really sink in at the time because we had a game, that was Sunday, we had a game on the Tuesday as well, and same thing happened. Australia won the toss, and they got 350, and we lost a few early wickets, and... Craig McMillan whacked it again and <laughs> and uh, Brendan McCullum played a great knock and yeah I, I've seen the highlights of the game a, a few times during lockdown that they were on a couple of times and hmm. yeah there was there was moments that I'd sort of forgotten like Mark Gillespie yeah um, he got he got about 30 off about 15 balls and French cut about three three past the keeper and yeah it was just it was one of those sort of series where it's just bizarre everything everything sort of strange was happening um but we managed to we managed to get get the win in Hamilton and to, to beat Australia three 0 at that stage was like, you know, was an amazing achievement and, and in hindsight probably it didn't help us going to that World Cup because we probably thought that we probably thought we were a little bit better than what we were to be honest. Yeah, so let's get to that World Cup. I mean, you you're saying you you guys thought so I guess going into that maybe that gives you the the confidence to feel like you could win because I remember watching that as a fan and thinking we were a bit of a chance and even. Um, even I remember really not wanting to play Sri Lanka in the semi-final. I don't can't even remember why uh, I didn't want us to match up against Sri Lanka, but for some reason thought we were a really bad matchup against them. I mean, yeah, I guess first I you guys obviously thought you were a, a good chance for that tour, and 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 then like, do you guys have that those thoughts of like we just definitely do not want Sri Lanka or Aussie or whoever in in a tournament like that? No, oh, I think we'd. So we we beat I think we beat South Africa and with two games to go or a game to go in the round robin mm. or the Super Eights or whatever it was called back then and so we that that meant we we knew we were in the semis and we had to play Australia in our last game but we already knew we were in the semi final mm. um, and we got we got we got hammered they got three hundred and thirty and bowled us out for about one hundred and fifty and I think um, when I when I think about it in hindsight I think that was. It was the sort of game I think I think we went into it just thinking, oh well, we're in the semi, so it doesn't actually matter, like, you know. Whereas I think Australia probably on the back of that three nil um defeat in New Zealand were like, We're gonna smash them and we're gonna go into the semi finals with a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. Um so we got hammered and then we went to Jamaica. Um and like, I, I don't I don't remember anyone sort of thinking we don't want to play. We don't want to play Sri Lanka. I think. I think we sort of fancied our chances against them because we'd played them. 
we played them in two series at home in the previous two years and, and done pretty well. So, um, yeah, I think we were pretty confident. Um, you know, and again, I think the highlights were on and we're on a lockdown. And you know, there's a couple of moments in the game where we you know dropped a couple of catches and they probably got thirty or forty more than they should have. Um, you know, and then yeah, we were we were sort of going not too bad at one stage, and then Murrulithran got about three wickets in the space of two overs, and then all of a sudden, before you knew it, the game was over, and we were, you know, sitting in the sheds just thinking, shit, what happened? Yeah, and, and I mean, one of the big things about that tour, um, that World Cup, I remember them just talking about how long it went on for, and, and ages and ages and ages, like in the media. Uh, we had we had a chat with Jeet and Patel a couple of months ago, and he was saying uh, it was a pretty fun one for you guys off the field. Yeah, yeah, no, I, like I said, I it was it was long, but it was good. It yeah. was good. Trust me, the, the the people who were there, I don't think anyone. We we used to we have like seven days in between games, mm. um, and there's probably in those days, well, especially in the West Indies, the training facilities weren't great, so you're obviously seven days in between games. You're not going to train for seven days straight before a game, so. Um, yeah, and there's yeah again, you go to the West Indies. There's not a lot else to do other than go to the beach or go to the pub. So um, yeah, it was a, it was a great trip. I I loved every minute of it. And people, yeah, you'd you'd read stuff in the media about people saying how it was terrible World Cup and it went too long and it was boring. But yeah, I had a great time. I had a, I had a great time. There we go. Note for the ICC: make World Cups fractionally longer with more downtime for the players, and they'll enjoy it. <laughs> I think that's a formula for success for everyone. Um, for you, Peter, in the years after the World Cup, you were, you had some success in the Black Cap side. You were in and out um, across the, the formats. What was it like for you when you were on that fringe of the team? You know, you you sort of, did you ever have in the back of the mind, well, one one low score here or, or a couple of low scores across a couple of formats, and I find might find myself on the out, outside looking in again. How did you prepare for games, and how did you feel about your career when you were going through that kind of phase? Yeah, I think that's the that's the probably the hard part for any player. Because um, every every player goes through those periods, um, mm. and and I always think, I mean, the difference between again between the you know the decent players and the and the great players is the great players have those thoughts, uh, but it might only last two innings or three innings, you know. Whereas um, for other guys, if it lasts seven, eight, nine, ten innings, that that's when you start to find yourself under some real pressure. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I after that World Cup, um, the next couple of years. Um, yeah, I had some sort of some some issues with my knee, and and that probably took a bit of its toll. And um, yeah, found myself probably in that situation where it was like, you know, you go into a series and think, you know, um, if I don't score runs here, I'm in trouble. Mm. Um, and and I ended up getting dropped, getting left out um, after a series against Pakistan um, in New Zealand, 2009, I think it was. And yeah, then I had I had basically basically the best part of sort of three three or four years out of the mm. team just playing for Canterbury. Mm. Um, and and you do, I guess, start to think, well, maybe I'm not gonna maybe I'm not gonna get picked again. So um, yeah, after a while I was sort of just like, well, if I don't get picked, I don't get picked. It doesn't really matter. I'm still enjoying playing for Canterbury and um, still got a pretty cool job doing this. So, you know, and, and ironically that was when I had probably you know, one of the best seasons of my career and and it, and it actually ended up getting picked for New Zealand again. So, yeah, it's probably, you know, there's probably a lesson in there somewhere about, you know, the, the pressure that, that you put on yourself and um, whether it actually helps or not. Mm. Yeah, well, that, that 2013 season was a huge resurgence for you. I was at that test 
um, at Eden Park, 100 in each innings against England. Um, you know, you brought up, I think, Stuart, were you saying you brought up 100 with a straight six down the ground? I mean, how good how good was that for you to come back into the side and then, you know, turn up against the old foe in both innings? Yeah, it was great. Um, I'd come in for the, we played, that was the third test of the, of the, of the series and um, I'd got a couple of 50s in the first two games mm. um, and had to, you know, I guess, probably felt like I had to really sort of just grind them out and, you know, probably wasn't overly pretty, but found a way to get a couple of scores. So, um, so I was, I was feeling all right going into that game and um, yeah, the first innings, first hundred was, was pretty slow and just a real, like I said, just trying to find a way to, to get the job done. Um, and then the second innings were obviously trying to set up the game and, and looking to get some quick runs. Um, so I guess I could probably express myself and, and play a few shots and um, yeah, I you know, my mum and dad had come up on the fourth morning. Um, I was not out overnight the night before and they said they were going to come up and I was like, oh, don't, look, don't worry about it. Like, yeah. honestly, just, you know, I could get out in the first over, so don't waste your time. But they were, they wanted to come up. I think they felt guilty because they missed the first one. Mm. Um, yeah, got to play some shots and, and that's probably, you know, not, not often in a test match you actually get to, um, just go out and bat and actually not not actually even worry if you get out because mm. there's no pressure. Most mm. of the time, there's just pressure the whole time. So mm. you had to play some shots and um, get a few over the rope was was a good feeling. And I copped a fair bit during the series from some of the English bowlers. So it was nice to, um, yeah, it was nice to dish out a bit of stick in return and um, have some fun. Yeah, good on you. Um, I do remember you, you. Do you open the batting in both innings of that test? And how much of an adjustment was that for you to open the batting in a test match, particularly getting recalled into that New Zealand squad? Or did that sort of at that stage of the career, did that sort of step up to opening the batting feel quite naturally and quite comfortable for you? Uh, yeah, I'd done it the whole season for Canterbury mm. um, and some of the season before. Yeah. So we'd had a few, we'd had a few different guys sort of come into the team, and we didn't have an opener, so. At that stage, I was batting three and I was the captain. So I just said, oh, well, I'll just open because, you know, it didn't really worry me where I batted mm. um, at that at that point in time. So it wasn't it wasn't too much of an adjustment. Um, yeah, I, I the longer I played, I actually quite enjoyed opening the batting because at least it gave you some sort of certainty over what was happening. There's obviously mm-hmm. a lot of variables in cricket, but opening the batting, at least there's, at least there's some certainty that you know that, you know, once the toss is done, there's a 50% chance that you're going to be batting at, you know, 10.30. So, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it after a while. And, um, you know, I actually, I, a lot of the time I found myself hoping, sort of secretly hoping that we were going to bat first. Um, you know, even if, even if you know, we wanted to bowl first, I've, I just wanted to sometimes bat first just because at least then you knew that, um, you know, you, you knew what was going to happen. You're out there and you can get into it. And look, this is a random question, but one one of our listeners has a, a really vivid memory, apparently, of you smashing one into your pad at some stage in a test match and not reviewing. Is is that did that happen? And and if so, I guess w- was the team just under strict orders that like only Brendan could use the reviews? What what happened there? <laughs> yeah, I think that was towards the end of Brendan's career. That was definitely the case. Um, <laughs> I think no one else was allowed to use one. Um, now that was yeah, that was in that was in Dunedin. Um, that was against Pakistan. It was actually just before I got dropped. Um, it was in the second innings. And I, it was the first series, I think it was the first series in Test Cricket, the first series anywhere where they'd used DRS. Mm. Um, and it wasn't quite what they had now. They basically just had, you know, like a replay. They just had a replay of 
of the ball. Um, don't even think I don't, I don't think they had hot. I'm not sure if they had hot spot. They might have had Snicko, but I don't think they had hot spot. Um, yeah, and I was first or second ball, and I sort of inside each one, and I thought got they appealed, got given out, and I sort of thought, shit, have I inside edge that? I've, I think uh, <laughs> I've maybe, yeah, I think I've in, and then I thought, oh shit, maybe I haven't. <laughs> and I thought, well, shit. What if I, what if I review it and it's not out, and it's, and it's, you know, and I haven't hit it, then I'll, I've wasted one, and then before I sort of knew it, I just, nah, I won't, and then I walked off, and yeah. by the time I got off, I sort of knew, I thought, shit, I've, you know, I've cocked that up. Yeah. Um, whereas now, yeah, like I said, now, like I said, now it's sort of second, second nature in international cricket. People just burn them left, right, and centre. Mm. Um, so if I had my time again, yeah, I would have just. I definitely obviously away. would have just been, oh, well, I won't worry about it. If I, if I get it wrong, I get it wrong. Yeah, just um, give it the old Tim like Payne the first, straight away. The, yeah, the first series, I sort of, I don't know, I, maybe I was being, maybe I was trying to be too much of a, of a team player and just make sure I didn't didn't waste one. I should have been a bit more selfish and just said, nah, bugger it. <laughs> and, and, I mean, you, you said before, after your New Zealand career, you still uh, went back and played uh, a lot more for Canterbury went on to become the highest run scorer ever for the province. We've talked to, to Toddy Astle uh, a, f- a few months ago, actually, I think during lockdown, and, and he said that being the leading wicket-taker for Canterbury was actually a, quite a big motivation for him and, and a really special moment. Was it similar for you for, for the run-scoring stuff? Um, yeah, look, I, I don't... Yeah, it was it was a pretty... I guess it was when I when I broke the record, it was a pretty cool, pretty cool feeling um, because I'd sort of grown up you know, going down to Lancaster Park and watching Canterbury. And um, I remember when I started and you'd sort of have a look at through some of the records and you sort of thought, shit, that's a long way away. I think it was six and a half thousand runs. Um, you know, so you never really sort of think that that's going to be possible. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely a cool feeling. I, I don't think it was a necessarily a motivating factor. Um, I think probably if, if anything, it was, you know, statistics were more important to me when I was younger. As I got older, towards the end of my career for Canterbury, I just wanted to try and win games and try and win some win some titles um, before I finished. So, yeah, like I said, definitely cool when I look back. Um, I look back now, you know, some of the names on the list, um, some of the people I sort of went past, I think that's pretty cool. And, um, you know, hopefully some of the guys, um, some of the guys in the team at some stage now will, you know, in a few years' time, you know, we'll, we'll be able to break some of those records and, um, you know, Knock, knock me down into second place. <laughs> and it, the, the one thing that did stand out for me when I looked at your your first class record, eleven wickets, and including a forfer. What what do you even bowl? <laughs> what did you bowl? Is it only eleven? I thought it was thirteen. Is it? Is oh, it 13? Uh, I thought it well, you have 13. to take that up with the good people yeah. at Crick Info. They've yeah. got it horribly, yeah, horribly I, I, to wrong. Be honest, I, I, yeah, it's 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 somewhere around there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when I first started, I used to bowl medium pace. Oh, yeah. um, and I probably bowled. Oh, I bowled. I bowled them. Well, I think I got all those wickets in my first. Probably two seasons for Canterbury, yeah. Um, and yeah, I actually got I got seven wickets in a match one one game for pretty Canterbury um, at Kiwi Two, pretty flat wicket uh, in those days. So seven wickets is a pretty good effort. Um, and yeah, some of the guys, some of the young guys in the team now can't believe it because um, <laughs> they've never seen me bowl. But yeah, I bowled a bit of medium pace, and then I had, like I said, I said earlier, I had some problems with my knees, and then after a couple of years, probably once once I'd cemented my spot in the team. Um, and I didn't have to rely on the bowling as a way of getting inside. Then I, then I knocked it on the head and said, "No, nah, I don't need to worry anymore." Um, so, so yeah. But I really enjoyed my bowling. I used to every time I'd go to England play club cricket, 
always make sure you bowl over there because mm. you're you know normally on some sort of bonus for wickets and yeah. stuff like that. So always make, always make sure you roll your arm over <laughs> over in England. Yeah, the amount of part-time uh, off-spinners uh, going around the England club scene is <laughs> yeah, remarkable. Exactly. Um, so sort of post-career, you moved into coaching. You were in charge of the New Zealand under-19s uh, in 2018. That seemed like a, a pretty good crop of, crop of players you had there. You had Finn Allen, uh, Rich and Ravindra, a whole host of other guys that we're starting to see on the domestic circuit now as well. Um, was was Caleb in that squad as well that's now involved in the Canterbury setup? Yeah, yeah Caleb, Caleb Boshio. Was uh, was in that the Chiefs player? Yeah, nice of him to, to deliver a few on on a good length in that Black Clash game uh, a couple of months back as well. Get you going? Yeah, yeah, it was it was he was uh, he was actually um, before he came on to bowl he was he was doing a bit of trash talking actually telling me that he was that when he came on he was gonna he was gonna get me out. So <laughs> uh, so yeah, when, when he came on, I thought okay, well you know um, you've asked for it, so yeah, it was nice to. Uh, it was nice to get one over him. Um, I think he's he's definitely chosen the right career going with the rugby. Um, but no, no, seriously, he was he was he was a really talented cricketer, um, and I'm sure he would have played. You know, he definitely would have played for first class cricket at some stage for mm. CD if he'd stuck with cricket. Um, you know, and then after that, who knows? But yeah, um, nice to nice to get a few runs. I just all I wanted to do in that game was actually just probably get double figures because um, mm. I hadn't I hadn't. I hadn't really played. I haven't played at all since I retired. I haven't really haven't played a game of cricket at all. So, yeah, the, the main motivation was just make sure you get double figures and, and not completely embarrass yourself. Yeah, it looked like you, as soon as he came on to bowl, the, a, some kind of competitive switch flicked in you, and, and you you kind of had that sort of thousand yard stare. And he bowled the first full toss, and it disappeared. And I was sort of sitting there watching it, going, "Oh, hello, Peter Fulton flicked a switch here. Could, anything could happen, and, and it did. It was it was fantastic to watch." Um, speaking of young guys, uh, lots of young New Zealand cricketers are on the scene. Um, who are the guys in that Canterbury setup that are coming through the ranks that we should be on the lookout for, uh, sort of leading into next season and seasons beyond? Um, oh, look, the, the Canterbury under nineteen team they won the national tournament last year, so there's there's a lot of good players. Mm. Um, yeah, it's 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 really hard. It's I don't want to give away too many secrets because okay, people don't. might try and poach them. <laughs> um, Fair no, enough. there's 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 a few. I mean, I think if, off the top of my head, um, you know, there's there's a couple of uh, there's a young bowler, Angus Sidey, who went to Christchurch Boys High, which is, you know, for people who sort of know their know their their Christchurch or Canterbury cricket will know has produced a lot of really good players over the years. He's a he's a really promising fast bowler. Um, Matt Boyle, who's the younger brother of, of Jack Boyle, who plays for Canterbury, mm-hmm. um, you know he's a he's a really talented left-handed top order batsman. Um, so so there's there's a couple of names. I mean, I I think the and I probably know this from my own experience. So I I only I only made the Canterbury under nineteen team um, for the national tournament at the last minute when someone else got injured and pulled out. Mm. Um, so I wasn't originally selected. So I know more than anyone else that. Um, yeah, what you do at 17, 18, 19 doesn't necessarily correspond with what you're going to do when you're 24 or 25. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Like I said, there's a lot of good young players in Canterbury. There's a lot of good players, you know, in that Canterbury squad at the moment who are going to be saying, well, you know, if you want to make this team, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, you know, be doing something special to, you know, to take my spot. So that's, I guess, as a coach, that's what you want. You want a whole lot of guys who are just really competitive and, and want to do well and want to get better. Um, and if you have that, then 
hopefully the cream will rise to the top. And before we wrap things up, um, we'll get you to talk about someone from a different province then that you had a bit to do with in that 19 squad. Uh, Ratchan Ravindra, obviously just been picked for, for the New Zealand side. Had a He's done really well in the New Zealand A, sort of had a mixed season for, for Wellington injury and, and all that other stuff, but definitely looks like someone with, with a lot of talent. Where do, where do you kind of see him fitting in in, in that New Zealand squad and in the, in the years to come? Uh, well, he's, yeah, he's a, he's a really talented player. And I remember when I saw him in the under-19s, um, you know, he uh, I guess he was, he was sort of, he certainly wasn't, um, or he didn't, didn't come as any surprise. Like he'd been on New Zealand cricket's radar for a few years, I think. So, mm. you know, this has been, this has been coming for a while and, and he probably just needed one sort of good season for some good performances for, for Wellington and then New Zealand A, which he's done this year. But, I think he's he's an opening. He's a top order batsman um, who can who can bowl some some good left arm spin. So yeah, it'll be interesting interesting to see. I think um, I think he's probably I think there's a chance he might play in England. Mm. To be honest, um, if I had to guess, I'd say at the, especially those the first test or the first couple of tests before the IPL guys get there, I think there's a good chance he might play mm. um, because I think what he does. By being able to bowl left arm spin and bat in the top six, he gives them the option of being able to play, you know, five batters. Um, BJ Watling at six, maybe an all rounder like Daryl Mitchell at seven, and then still play four fast bowlers. Mm. Um, so he just gives them that balance to the team. So um, yeah, I think I think there's a good chance he could play, and and I think definitely when they go to the subcontinent and play in, in India later on in the seat in the year, I think um, again. Having someone in your top six that can that can bowl spin, um, you know, is going to be is going to be massive. And and look, I think he'll, yeah. Look, I have no doubt that maybe whether it's this year or next year or whatever, at some stage, um, he's going to he's going to get an opportunity. And you know, he's a, he's a he's a really talented player. And and once he once he gets going in international cricket, then I'm sure he's going to have a long career. Peter, you've been so generous uh, with your time. Thank you for joining us on the Top Order podcast. Before we let you go, we'll just do a quick rundown of some quick-fire questions, if if you don't mind. Uh, we have got one second to last. The penultimate question is about the best sledge that you've been involved with on the cricket field. So given that you've uh, named a couple of nations that gave you a bit of stick while you're batting, there's an opportunity for you to get your own back there. Uh, but let's start off with your favourite innings as a batter. Uh, favourite innings? Um... Oh, I don't know. Probably, probably either either one of the hundreds um, against England at Eden Park, um, or else um, probably the the game we talked about earlier, the the, the Chapel Hadley game at Eden Park mm. um, when we chased three forty. I got seventy odd not out, so to walk off um, there was probably twenty five thousand people there that day. So to walk off in front of that a crowd like that. Having um, been there at the end when we hit, hit the winning runs was was pretty special. And of your um, eleven or thirteen, depending on whether or not Crick Info's got it right or wrong, we'll clarify that after the interview. <laughs> of those thirteen wickets, which one was your favourite? Oh, probably Ross Taylor. Oh yes, um, that's a good one to have in the bag. I got I got Ross Taylor, um, just a uh, sort of outswinger on off stump, just just shaped away and he just sort of poked at it and just feathered one through the keeper. So I'd definitely have to say uh, Ross Taylor. Superb. Favourite place to tour overseas? Um, oh, probably England or South Africa. 
Nice. England or South Africa. Nice. Yeah. And and who's the best teammate to have uh, with you when you're rooming on tour? Oh well, if you're, if you're rooming on tour with the with the Black Caps, then you don't want to have any roommates because you want to have your own room. Mm. So um, yeah, look, I, I I didn't I didn't room with them that often, but um, you talked about him before, Jeet and Patel. Jeet and Patel's always pretty pretty entertaining on a tour away. And who's the who's the pest that you found the most annoying to tour with? <laughs> there's one there's one in every squad. It's usually me, uh, but who's the pest that that you found really sort of got under your skin? Uh, well, when when he started playing for New Zealand, Tim Southey's nickname was the Pest um, <laughs> because he just wouldn't stop talking, and uh, he was sort of straight off the farm from Northland, and just you know had no no just completely unstreetwise and no common sense, and just an absolute <laughs> nightmare to sort of be around in general. Superb. Um, are you a superstitious man? Do you have any superstitions when you're preparing to battle, preparing for a game? Oh no, not really superstitions. Um, no, I used to always, I used to always ask the umpire how many to come in the over when there was two balls left, even even if I knew there was two balls. Yep. Um, I'd just have to ask the umpire. So, yeah, nice one. And now that you're a coach, do you do you subscribe to the Wayne Bennett theory of having two motivational speeches, one for when you're winning and one for when you're losing, or do you have a do you have it? Do you work on your kind of motivational speeches and tactics for for the dressing room? Uh, I. Probably my biggest achievement um, in coaching so far is this season. I, I didn't really ever have to give the boys a spray nice. um, at any stage. So, like I said, that's like I said, probably a product of the fact that we we're winning a lot of games. But um, yeah, I, I didn't have to give them a real spray or what I would consider a real spray. So hopefully, keep that up my sleeve. You know, hopefully, won't have to use it at some stage. But if I do, then I'll make sure it's a goodie. Nice. <laughs> Nice. Here's the big moment. Uh, best sledge that you've been involved with on the cricket field, either one that you've been able to dish out uh, to a fast bowler or one that you've received? <laughs> um, I haven't dished too many out myself. Um, yeah. Oh, I wouldn't say it's the best. Um, probably the most memorable one um, that I've ever had. Uh, Andre Nell, who used to mm. play for South Africa, mm. um, he once told me that he was going to um, he was going to bowl a bouncer and put the ball between the grill and my helmet and hit me between the eyes and kill me. Wow. So, which I didn't think was, you know, obviously that appropriate. Um, especially it was so great. It was pretty graphic. That's very um, graphic. But, um, yeah, I think he, uh, I think, I think in hindsight, he's, he's probably had a few issues, I think, since he finished playing cricket. So that possibly explained why he was so angry. Yes, it certainly was an angry man, I remember. Mm, he was not <laughs> not one to be messed with. And Peter, again, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, last question, what's been your proudest moment uh, reflecting back on your playing career and, and now as a coach? Um, oh, proudest. I, get, I, I think probably the fact that that I came, you know, played, played out in Canterbury Country, um, grew up out there, um, at a time when people from Canterbury Country, you know, didn't even didn't really ever get picked for Canterbury, let mm. alone picked for New Zealand. Um, so to to do that and then um, I guess be the sort of the first one, so to speak, and then now see other guys come through and and sort of do it um, and know that you know you sort of played a part and I guess setting the stage for some other guys um, is probably one of the things I'm sort of probably most proud of. Mm. Mm. Fantastic, and a great way to way to finish the podcast. So, uh, Peter Fulton, uh, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Congratulations on your victorious season with Canterbury and all the best for the future. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me.